I made the decision I had to go. He was starting to go under. God puts you in a place and things happen. And if you have faith, Julie Mackles was like a guardian angel, rescuing a man who police say attempted suicide. I just really hope he makes it. It's hard to believe that I was the person to go, but I'm just glad I was there. At the water's edge, Julie turned to a first responder. He was great. He said, you're doing great. You're doing everything just fine. Just just hold on. He even offered, you know, said I ought to get a job <laughs> working with those guys. He was cute. <laughs> and if it looks like Julie knows what she's doing, there's a reason why. I was a lifeguard in high school and I was a water safety instructor in college in a lifeguard in college. And a trailblazer, a pioneer, one of the first women to become a Navy fighter jet pilot. There's a lot of water training in the Navy and there's a lot of, of course, thinking on your feet and being trained to handle an emergency. So that helped. Police say the man was hospitalized in serious condition. Julie walked home with her dog and could see the rescuers from her window. She showed her daughter. That's why I'm wet and my husband walked in right then. Heard the story and it didn't it didn't surprise me in a way. She's a take charge kind of lady and uh, extremely proud. After all this, they had a margarita and reflected. The big picture of things, you know. I'm just glad I was there. There to save a man. Add hero to Julie's list. So welcome back to Chicago's Bravest Stories. We have the honor of having that person who actually jumped in the water uh, with us today is Julie Mackles. Hi, Julie. Hi, guys. Thank you so much for agreeing to do this. I know we've been talking back and forth, and since the time that we started talking, uh, we've had things going on in the city, to say the least. (laughs) And you you are a resident of downtown, right? Yeah, right there State Street. Uh, we we can we can actually see the State Street bridge from our living room, and then we, if we look down hard enough, we can see the street and State Street in front of us. Yeah, so I mean, we you and I were practically shoulder to shoulder yesterday, then. So <laughs> I bet. Yeah, yeah, I I watched you guys all day long. It was a long, hard day just to watch. I can't imagine what it was like for you. Well, well, well thank goodness that you're uh, that you you're not in the area right now. So, um, yeah, thank you so much for coming out, Julie. Really appreciate it on short notice. Um, so you, luckily right now you're safe away from the city for a little bit, right? Yeah, I had, I, uh, we, we got invited out of town to somebody's lake house and it's, it's just, oh my goodness, it's quite a breath of fresh air. <laughs> well, let's, let's jump right into, uh, what happened. You were actually walking your dog and this was, what day was this? This would be... But, uh, Thursday, I think. Thursday, yeah, Thursday. And this was like one forty-five in the afternoon, and you were walking your dog over on the river walk, right? Yeah, I was uh, crossing the street from, like, the Kemper building on State, just cro- uh, right on uh, Wacker, just crossing the street towards the State Street Bridge, yeah. Okay. When I first saw something was going on. So did the commotion kind of ke- get your attention, or were you, like, one of the first yeah. people to see this guy jump in the water? No, definitely not. I was actually in the crosswalk and looking across the bridge, and there was a man in a business suit who came over to two guys who were in the, um, I think, bridge house. Is that the right term? Yes. They were in the bridge house of the State Street Bridge, and uh, they had their green masks on and, you know, looked official and obviously had access to the riverwalk, but nobody else did. And, uh, and I could see him yelling I couldn't hear what he was saying but I did hear them ask him a or see them ask him a question and he said yes I've already called which I assumed was 911 and he held his phone up 
But then he went back out onto the bridge, and I'm like, well, somebody's got to go down to the water here. <laughs> and uh, but I went out to the bridge to see who's, you know, what they were looking at, and there was a lady there who was just absolutely beside herself, screaming. And I saw the man in the water, and that's when, like you heard on the clip, he was he was bobbing up and down trying to swim, but not really getting anywhere he was drowning well the, um, the the news reported that he was attempting suicide is that correct is that what you've i have found no out? idea i heard, i read that but i have no idea the very you know i saw the businessman and the two bridge house guys and the woman screaming and then i saw the man who was already in the water with the backpack on and all his clothes so well, how I, he got there i truly don't know well you know um when i uh when I work downtown, that river is ridiculous. Uh, it it's a tough river just to um, like you know you have kayakers and everything like that. People can't appreciate the waves and like how vicious that river actually is. So just uh, you know, as somebody who who's down in that area a lot, I, I can appreciate what you did. Um, you quoted here saying, "If you can't swim, I will go." Do you remember saying that? Yes. Um, there, when I got the two bridge house guys finally went down to the water's edge and, um, and I looked around, saw nobody else was doing anything and these guys weren't doing things fast enough for me. So <laughs> I said, I, um, I'm going to follow them down. So I picked up my dog and jumped over the rail and, um, you know, went down the stairs there and there was another man who had his shirt off and was, had already climbed over to the other side, you know, the, the river side of the rail. And so I said, well, you know, if, if this guy is going in after him, I don't, you know, I don't want to complicate things. Let's see what's happening. And I said, throw him a ring. They threw one ring, didn't get anywhere near him, you know, um, and that outflow there, the, he was being quickly pulled out across the middle of the river even. Uh, I said, go get another one. And they got another one, threw that one out, and they didn't make it out there either. So now there's two rings in the water and one man with his shirt off looking like he's ready to jump. I said, if, can you swim? If you can't, I will go. And he said, um, he said, I got it. I said, then go. So he did. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, he, but he, he had his shoes on and I mean, he, he was very distraught and very much wanted to help. Um, and I, I admire the heck out of him for that, um, that he was willing to go. But once he got in, he just really wasn't getting out there. And again, it wasn't happening fast enough. So I told the poor, <laughs> I told the poor bridge guy, hold my dog. He said, what? I said, hold my dog. <laughs> <laughs> so I stand on the leash. He looks down, so I didn't even see the dog, you know, until then. But um, took off my shoes, jumped over the fence, went out, swam out to the second uh, ring. And by the time I got to him, he was past the middle and uh, already fully submerged. And uh, I actually pulled him up by his backpack to get to his body so that I could carry him in. So was he unconscious by the time you got to him? He was, you guys didn't have a conversation. Yeah. Like you couldn't say like, uh, be yeah. calm or anything he, like that. He w no, he was, you know, he was absolutely unresponsive, but there was some movement to where, you know, I could tell he was, he wasn't fully conscious, but he wasn't, uh, he definitely wasn't resisting. He, he was very limp. He was alive but I for did sure. Feel him move. Yeah. Yeah. And I did hear the, um, the responders, I did hear that he was breathing once they pulled him up. So, but okay. that's, I've been trying to find out more and I just, I really don't know how. Who showed how up to grab you guys, Julie? Everybody. Yeah. <laughs> there was, 
there was a, uh, in fact, the police boat, there was a police boat that had a flat back to it that came up so fast that it really picked up a lot of waves and made it a little bit, a little bit hairy there. But I had already got them all the way to the side. They threw me another rope on top of it. You can kind of see that in the video. They threw that, um, another rope on top of the ring and I grabbed it so they could pull me close to the side, but I kept the ring between us and the wall because the waves really kicked up as the boat started showing up. That, that huge fire boat came and, uh, and my friend knows the name of it. I don't. But um, that the big red fire boat and the and the police boat. Um, a while I was swimming, there was another boat that I looked like a civilian boat, and I tried to motion them to come over and help, but they were just watching. So I kept swimming. Um, <laughs> wow. And uh, yeah, that was that was. And you know, I barely I barely remember that, as you can imagine, my brain was kind of. So busy. when when but you. I got over there. When you swam out, was he within the length of the ring that had been tossed out, or did you have to swim beyond the length close. of the ring? No. There was more than yeah, enough no, ring for you? Okay. Uh, no, no. The, there was no, nobody was holding any ropes of the ring. So the ropes were all in the water. Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah, it was just a ring. I needed the ring. I went and grabbed the ring and took it out there with me. <laughs> yeah, with all, with so. all this silliness, you know, you did, you did all within your uh all within your power to do what we teach you know what what's being taught to first responders everywhere you know throwing out the ring if you have a boat available to to help someone and you you literally you went go you know and you got it done and you got you got him it's amazing to me that not only did you pull him out uh, or that that you pulled him up above water but that you were able to to get him pretty much to shore despite everyone trying to make it hard for you, running boats around you like maniacs. Well, what, what people can't appreciate is that once you got to that wall, like the hard part just starts when you get to that wall because it is a steep wall to try to get up with just one person, let alone another person. There was no way the both of you were getting up that wall together. No, my hope was that someone could get a rope and, and, and drag us over to the other side of the bridge where there's a ladder. But, you know, they, we couldn't go toward, we couldn't go east because of the outflow water was right there. So I was just south, I mean, I just, sorry, west of the, um, of the outflow water. And I just went straight back to where I jumped in, but it's way too steep. But I was hoping somebody could grab a, a rope and then drag us down to the, you know, the other side where there's, where it's flat, you know, down to the river. Can somebody do access. something around here? Well, the the, the standard procedure for... <laughs> well, no, by then... Yeah, well, yeah by, by then they, all the responders were there. Well, you, so if you watch your, the video of you at the wall and you see them pull up the guy, um, you see the dive team uh, really uh, implement their standard procedures of putting that... If anybody, like, gets to see uh, the handcuff not in action... That's like how they are taught to pull guys up from the thing. And when, um, you know, uh, whether it's the, the break walls or these, you know, steep sides of this river, um, yeah. you can really see this thing in action um, as these guys are pulling them up. And um, you can see that they're at, at one point, uh, it's Julie, the victim, um, another guy who is a non-diver and then a diver all in the water at the same time, all like clinging to this, uh, the ring. And it's uh, pretty yeah, impressive, you guys. Yeah, I think there guys. were actually three divers. There, were, there was one guy uh, behind me. He was the one guy I was talking to that um, that was behind me. And then there was one, one. There were two other guys that eventually in the water, all three in their scuba gear, I think, or you know their their suits. And 
And then, yeah, then um, I found out his name was Kenny later. Kenny was over on with the other life ring, you know, to the side. You know, and I, I think that's what makes it so incredible, Julie, is that, like, you know, <clears throat> me personally, you know, I'm, I'm no hero. I put on equipment that's designed to go into structural buildings for firefighting, and I do what my job is. Police officers are equipped to go into situations where um, where they've got potential violent criminals, and you are just a person unprepared walking your dog and just relying on experience and, and training that maybe you have had just just make something happen out of nothing without any safety or due regard for yourself, which is, that's really the most incredible part of this thing to me, Julie. Thank you. Well, you know, that, that may have been the most impressive part about your story for Corey, but in doing my research and, um, what I've, uh, heard, uh, mentioned in the newscast was that you are a retired Naval aviator. And yeah. uh, can you, I mean, to me, that is an amazing story in itself, because I can't imagine that, um, uh, you know, uh, prior to your retirement, there were there were very few female naval aviators. Yeah, um, yeah, I got my wings in '86. Uh, there were not very many jet, especially tactical jet pilots um, in the Navy. In fact, the Navy had better opportunities for women to fly tactical jets than the air force did at the time and i i got to do some really neat flying in the philippines as a as an aggressor pilot yeah what yeah, uh, what, what aircraft <laughs> did you fly it's called the a4 skyhawk okay um it used to be you would it, in the 80s before the s18s became the blue angels they used the blue angels used to be flown with the a4 skyhawks they're pretty cool well, pretty cool little jet. You and I, uh, when we talked about setting up this podcast, I was telling you about a book that I was reading that I heard on another podcast oh, yeah. by Dan Pedersen. It's called Top Gun: An American Story. Are you familiar uh-huh. with this at all, or or the guy? He's one of the um, the first uh, one of the co-founders of the Top Gun School. Um, um yeah, no, I don't know Dan Pedersen. I do know. You know, a lot of guys have been through talking. <laughs> well, can you? So I actually, you know, I don't know when I'm ever going to have this opportunity to talk to somebody who actually was a naval aviator. But in the book, he talks about a place um, when he, before there was a Top Gun school. It's 80 miles off the the coast of San Diego, and they call it a place. It's called Whiskey Two Nine One, and it's where they go. And all these aviators, you know, whether it was Air Force, Navy, Marines, and they would go and they would dogfight each other. And yeah, in order to start the dogfight, you had to flip each other off. Then you had to <laughs> go bank around and then kind of do like a, like run right at each other, break off, and then the yeah. dogfight would start. Have you ever heard of that or right. been, been a part of it? That's what I... That's what I do. Well, I mean, oh, you did it. That's, that's what I do, Vince. You did that? <laughs> yeah, I. Um, that was my job in the Philippines. Well, I mean, what Top Gun is is a specialized school. So once pilots have gone to their fleet squadrons and and probably have a tour under their belt, you know, where they've gone out to sea for a nine month tour or whatever, they um, and then they get selected. They're they're usually some of the better fighters. They already know how to dogfight. 
um, but they're some of the better squad, uh, the better dog fighters in their squadron, and they get selected to go to the Top Gun school, and then they learn their skills there, and they bring them back to their squadron so they can share that that extra skill and experience they got to, with the rest of their. Um, well, that's what yeah, that's what Dan Pedersen was but, saying is they would take yeah. the two they would go to the fleet and take the two best pilots from the fleet, which didn't right. sit well right. with everybody because they would lose their two best pilots. But they sold it on yeah, the fact yeah. that hey, you'll get them back, but right. and then they're they're basically it's a graduate school for pilots, and you'll get them back right. to teach them because um, exactly. they were saying that they became so. Uh, missile dependent where you and like the MiGs mm -hmm. didn't have missiles and they could only get within right. um, you know uh, gun range of these uh, pilots so they were so much better yeah. equipped to dogfight yeah I, I haven't I haven't talked to a non-pilot who's explaining it as well as you are <laughs> oh well I, I, th um, yeah. that's what's so ironic is like <laughs> it's fresh in my mind because I just got done like listening to Dan Peterson, like hearing this guy talk and getting into his book, I was just like fascinated. You know, I n never thought yeah. about researching who founded Top Gun and why they f they um, put it together and stuff like this. But um, just the fact that um, these guys would get so much more flight time than anybody, you know, they're doing like 10 times more flight time than even a pilot who's seasoned. Um, and that's what makes them so good. Julie, would you have time yeah, at all to? I mean, oh, yeah. sorry. I'm sorry. You go ahead. Uh, that, no, I was, I was just going to say, yeah. I, but, but I mean, all the guys in the squadron are—that's what they, we all do. You know, you do the air. It's air-to-air -air training. I mean, you know, being in the military, your whole, you know, your whole job is training for the day that you're doing it for real, and and you spend a lot of time doing that, going out to a whiskey area, you know, whatever the name of that specific flight area was. But we've got. Whiskey that's 291. That's what I was doing in the Philippines. Yeah, Whiskey 291. <laughs> so we have all that. That's just, you know, the name of one designated airspace, and, and they're everywhere. And, um, you know, I did that in the Philippines. And that's, it was pretty fun because at the time, up until 93, uh, there was a combat exclusion law for women being in combat squadrons. Now there are women in all the combat squadrons, pretty much. Um, although still, you know, not so many. Um I'm and, sure they could all thank uh, you know, thank you for paving people like you paving the way, Joel. Well, I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> Do you no. is would you have uh, <laughs> would you have any time or or want to talk about um, any experience coming up through the military or coming up through the military? Yeah. Um, I I you, you mean as a woman or just in general? Oh, just in general or uh, as a woman. Yeah, yeah. No, it was uh, my dad was a naval aviator. He wasn't a jet pilot, so. Um, I thought I wanted to, you know, fly big transports like he did. But once I got into flight school and I got to the point where you're doing the more tactical, I mean, the more like aerobatic kind of things you're learning in basic training, I was like, this is really fun. I want to go jet. So, <laughs> um, I ended, <laughs> so I did, I ended up getting to go jets and then I ended up getting to go to the best squadron, in my opinion, available at the time for me. And that was the squadron in the Philippines where we were the aggressor pilots and we fought against all the F-14s and 18s and 16s and 15s. And, um, you know, we just go out there and we got to be the bad guys. It was really fun. Um, and, and do very similar training over only it was in the Philippines, but when all the, you know, ships and squadrons would come through the bases we used to have there. So did you, did you go in as an officer right out of college? Did, yeah. Did, okay. 
Yeah. I, well, I was um, ROTC at the University of Texas all four years and uh, trying to get into flight school. Um, there were only seven women, only seven slots for, for women per year out of the ROTC program. So I, I got in by the skin of my teeth on that one, but, um, but it all worked out. So they had an actual billet that you could take as a, for a pilot or does it not work that yeah. way with pilots? Yeah, no, well, as long as your eyesight, stayed, back then your eyesight had to be really, really perfect until you got your wings. So that was something everybody was nervous about because um, it wouldn't take much to to kick you out of the program with the eyesight thing. But seven women out of all the ROTCs in the country were selected to be pilots per year at that point. So wow. um, it was tough, but um, I made it. I think <laughs> I was barely number seven probably. <laughs> wow. During any of the um, uh, Middle East campaigns, were you involved in any of that? No, I was. Um, I was a. I did two years in the Philippines. Did a lot of military exercises then, but it was pre nineteen ninety three when uh, the women, you know, were go- started going into the regular squadrons. I um, came back to South Texas and was a flight instructor teaching all that basic air-to-air maneuvering that you were talking about a while ago with the top gun stuff, just the basics of uh, students first learning how to fly, like you were saying, where you, you go fight on, you know, you, you, you fly straight at each other and then say left to left and you do like a, a close pass and, and turn hard against each other and, and start to fight and try to get to a gun position on the other, on the other plane. So I was teaching students to do that and that was really fun but um that's when uh we started and um uh, desert storm started at, while we were all flight instructors in texas so now julie i almost forgot the most important question what was your call sign oh casper casper <laughs> that is yeah. so cool is i want a call sign now <laughs> <laughs> julie can you give vince a you call usually sign don't get- <laughs> Well, he, uh, usually don't get to pick your own. A lot of people don't like their call signs. Oh, <laughs> that was up. that was the thing in the book is that you your call sign is like from something stupid that you did or a variation yep. of your last name. So it's nothing that oh, they you could could've... be really rude. If, yeah, if you had big ears, it might be wingnut or or Dumbo. Bar, you would be dumb. Yeah, you'd be Dumbo. <laughs> <laughs> wow. yep. Julie, well, I. I we, I joke about it pretty oftenly, but truly thank you for your service for throughout the military. And, and really, this gentleman has you and, and I would say pretty much you only to, to thank for his life right now. Um, is there uh, any ex- other experiences you'd like to talk about that coming up or, or going through anything or? Um, no, I'm just, I am daily praying for you guys with what's going on right now. I mean, to live right in the middle of it all is, uh, is a pretty intense thing. And, uh, I admire the heck out of all of you first responders and I'm praying for you by the minute right now. Well, thank you so much. It's greatly appreciated. Thank you. And speaking of praying, we, um, there was something that you wanted to, I don't know if promote is the right word, but young lives. Yeah, it's a young life organization. We originally got involved with it because one of our friends was um, uh, was actually going to be working with them overseas with the military military kids, and um, 
just coming alongside military kids in a, in a Christian youth group kind of setting. And, um, and she was headed that way. And we started sponsoring her for that because I was also a kid living overseas uh, in the military and uh, had a big heart for that organization. So Young Life is the name of the organization, and they're great. Okay, is there a place that people can go if they want to get involved or uh, donate uh, or participate? It's, it's something you would want to go to. Um, yeah, donate. I uh, I sponsor, um, we sponsor, I should say, um, <laughs> someone who um, – who works overseas with uh, military kids and you can go on their younglife.org website to learn a lot more about it. Young life that young life that work. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Julie. Um, I mean, you know, this is Chicago's bravest stories podcast. And I think you jumping in that, Chicago, uh, Chicago River is definitely something brave and, you know, pertaining to Chicago. And we'll try to get the, uh, we tried doing some research to see the condition of the guy you uh, pulled out of the water. Uh, we don't have any information on him yet. We're going to try to get that. And as soon as we get something on that, we'll definitely try to get that to you, um, try to find out his I condition. I appreciate that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, so if he had a shred of hope uh, making it, you definitely gave it to him. So, uh, you know, thank you so much. And thank you so much for uh, taking the time with us. It, we really appreciate it. And uh, we would like to reserve the right to call you again and have you come into the studio and talk to us more about cool stuff like uh, some more jet fighter stuff. <laughs> I would love to. That sounds great. All right. So thank you for being on this episode of Chicago's Braver Stories with Julie Casper Mackholz. <laughs> thank you, Julie. <laughs> thank you, Julie. You're welcome, guys. Thanks for calling. It was nice chatting with you. It was nice talking My to you. pleasure is all ours. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.